Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Dan Yang, National Director of Churches of Welcome at World Relief, and today we're talking to Kevin Palau. Kevin's an author, speaker, and president and CEO of the Louis Palau Association, which exists to proclaim the good news, unite the church, and impact cities worldwide. Kevin and Ed are partnering with Glue to host an evangelism masterclass that'll help people share the gospel in everyday lives. You can access the masterclass by creating a free Glue account at Glue, that's G-L-O-O dot U-S. But before we talk to Kevin, I want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it'll help us if you left us a review. Now let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Yeah, but you you said your name is Dan Yang. I've never heard you refer to yourself as Dan Yang until this moment. Have we, since you left the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center and the Church Multiplication Institute, are you now shortening your name? What's up with that? You know, I I might have slurred it, but maybe because my new title is pretty long. So is it? <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. Uh, my name is Edward, and you can call me Edward. Uh, so, but anyway, so good, good, good to have everyone here in the conversation today. I hope that you're listening as a pastor and church leader because you're interested in addressing an issue that I think is one of the major issues of the church today, and that is uh, we have lost a passion for evangelism. And how do we regain that? If you go back, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, churches were having uh, you know, seminars and every Tuesday night they were going out and doing evangelism and they were teaching people how to share their faith. And man, oh, the world has changed. I, I think probably the only time, well, not only is probably too strong, but most of the time I hear people talking about evangelism, it's in some critical way. Recently, a school held a uh, kind of a, a, a symposium and and it was on basically, you know, it was on evangelism. But they spent like two days talking about like what not to do and how this is bad and this is bad and this is bad. And I get it. I get it. There's been a lot of evangelism done badly. But at the end of the day, if we're embarrassed by evangelism, we're embarrassed by something that's so central to Jesus' life and mission that between his resurrection and his ascension, he gave four short talks. We call them commissions. And all of them are about showing and sharing his love to a broken and hurting world. So we're super excited to have Kevin Palau on today. Kevin, uh, I know you share now, when people think Palau, they might think of festivals. I know I, we're going to address that later on, but I want to address right now the lull. You've been an observer of Christians sharing their faith for a long time. Any insights on what happened and why we got to this lull? Well, I think if we're talking about the West, and I think, you know, yeah, point. people listening, we're talking about the U.S. I mean, Culture has changed. I mean, we we are in exile now. We, the, I'll quote you, Ed. We, we've lost our home field advantage. So the ground has shifted under us. However you want to put it, the context is different. So part of me would say, well, okay, that's that's normal. I mean, culture changes. That we we see in scripture itself, and certainly in church history, a never ending up and down and up and down. Sometimes it's harvest time, and it feels like fruits falling off the trees faster than we can pick it up. Other times it's like, man, this fruit all seems unripe and it's hard days. But, um, you know, whether these are the best of times or the worst of times, this is the time we've got. So I feel like for those of us that, that are followers of Jesus, it's always harvest time in the sense that if we have eyes to see, there are always people that are looking for hope. So, you know, I, I tend to be a pretty optimistic kind of person. And um, I think if we have eyes of faith and if we're in the scriptures and in fellowship with other believers, 
we can still be encouraged. But yeah, the bottom line is it's harder than it used to be. We've lost our home field advantage. People aren't starting with a lot of common ground with the Christian community. In other words, you you talk, you're not going to ask someone in Portland, Oregon, where I live, hey, where do you go to church? <laughs> they they would literally do a double take and be like, I, I I don't even, what do you mean? Now, there are parts of the country still, I'm sure places here and there where that would be not an abnormal question. But for more and more people, especially younger people, that's kind of nonsensical. It's like, why in the world would you assume that I have that kind of faith or that that's a big part of my life? So it's it's harder times. Yeah. So you started rightfully, I think, talking about the cultural distance. You know, we're now on the kind of the wrong side of the cultural divide from the culture's perspective. We're we're uh, we're not the good guys, maybe in a lot of people's <laughs> eyes. Lots of still opportunity. They're not saying everyone's closed to it. We actually see research shows people are pretty open. So. And that's a good, the right place to start, I think. We've lost our home field advantage. But let's talk so some about like Christians themselves. So yeah. let's come into the Christian family, into the church, because, man, there's a lull that's there. So part of that certainly must be, though, the, it's harder context to, to do this in. But why have Christians themselves moved away from evangelism as a passion and maybe it's maybe it's multifaceted maybe i don't i don't no. know but certainly it seems that that um it's hard to get i mean you if you if you do a study on wednesday night on the end times man you'll have a full crowd you do a study wednesday night on evangelism be you and maybe me kevin and daniel that are there so 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 why have christians lowered this in the priority level when jesus obviously i mean again four short talks between his yes. resurrection and ascension and i wrote an article for the washington post that Jesus' last words, his last earthly words, Jesus' last words should be our first priority. And I think Christians got mad at me for even saying that. So so talk to me about why Christians have lulled in this space as well. I mean, I I, I do think the, the, the fact that there's a perception that people aren't interested, I think that we, we sell ourselves that I'm going to be in, 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 I'm going to be in over my head. You know, I can't mm -hmm. answer the, oh my gosh, I'm not a scientist. Like, oh, there's all these questions about science or wow i'm going to be perceived as being homophobic i'm i'm going to be like uh, you know my neighbors might not agree with me politically like i feel like we're we're too aware and we sell ourselves i think social media and the ability to feel like we know what other people are thinking at every at, at any moment puts a burden on us that i don't think we're supposed to carry so rather than assuming like you know what we're all humans we're all created in the image and likeness of god we're all people that have way more in common than not. I think social media has made us feel like we're divided into infinite numbers of different groups. And so I think we just overthink some of these things rather than saying like, even with a total stranger, like, man, we have a lot in common. You know, we all care about our families. We're all struggling with this and that. I think that we, we overthink it. And, and I think the other thing is just we're busy. I think we're busier than we used to be. And we have so many sources of entertainment. I, th I think we're just the, the cares of this world choke out the things that we should be concerned about. So I think there's just spiritual internal problems, you know, where we're distracted. And then I think that we, um, we kind of sell ourselves that people are farther away than they are at times. Mm, that's good. Mm. So th those are a couple things that come to mind. Yeah. You know, Kevin, you lead the Louis Palau Association. You've been doing that for decades, and for for many of our listeners, they'll be familiar with your your father, Louis Palau, and yeah. you know, evangelist to tens of millions. And 
just really uh, many have thought uh, of Billy Graham and Louis Palau when it comes to evangelism over the last you know, 50 years. Uh, and you're part of that legacy. You're leading that. Uh, can you share with us what, what are the lessons on evangelism that you learned from your dad? Well, you know, it's funny, fairly simple things. You know, dad 100% believed that the good news was good news for people. He, he had a joy in wanting to share the good news with people. He's loved to share to, to large crowds. I mean, man, if he could stand in front of tens of thousands of people or more and, and share the good news, he loved it. But he also loved to share the good news with individuals. I mean, when he was dying of lung cancer, you know, he had never been in the hospital overnight a day in his life. But uh, when he when he got to a point in his last days when he couldn't do what he loved to do, which is travel at all or share with large crowds, he was still sharing the good news with the nurses in the hospital. And we heard so many stories of people coming to faith in the hospital because this guy that they didn't know, in other words, they weren't talking because they knew who Luis Palau was. He was just this guy who was winsome and asked good questions and cared about people. So. As simple and obvious as it is, Dad believed in the power of the gospel to change lives. He refreshed himself daily in his relationship with Christ and kind of reminded himself, this is good news. Why would I not want to share it? And he developed such a winsome way to get into conversation with people. And he was a magnet everywhere he went. So I think it's funny when I think of Dad, I think mostly of those kind of quiet internal things. I don't think so much of dad standing on a stage in front of 100,000 people in Buenos Aires, Argentina, though he loved that. I think of the guy that that built a great relationship with his oncologist and just intended to share the good news and did multiple times with he and his wife. And he just had this joy because he believed you know, Ed, like you said, I mean, he took Jesus's last words very seriously, but not from a sense of duty or obligation like, oh, you know, God's Jesus has done so much for me. I've got this duty. I'm obligated, though he felt that. He just felt like my life has been so transformed. I've seen so many thousands and thousands of people transformed. Why would I not want this for everybody? So I he loved it. He loved to share the good news, and he did it every chance he could, and he loved to hear people's stories. Love it. Love it. We actually uh, did together a uh, evangelism masterclass. Let me frame a little bit so people are uh, kind of aware. So uh, first of all, let me tell you the price. It's, uh, it's, I'm going to double the price right now. It's still free. So it's, um, we, we gathered together some key voices who really care about evangelism and really want to engage in evangelism. Now we are, Kevin and I have been advisors to the He Gets Us campaign. Now, now when I say advisors, we want to, we want to temper what we're saying. Kevin and I aren't making ads. We're not, we're not doing media buys. We're not talking to Super Bowl people. You know, we're, we're helping them. And one of the things that uh, we are also doing, the campaign is very much like, think of the campaign like a box. The He Gets Us campaign is a box. And inside that box, they're running ads to help people to connect with uh, who Jesus was and is, so they can learn, want to learn more information. And then they go and 
And again, the, the, so the ads are very clear. They're not, the ads don't have gospel presentations. They're very well done ads to foster conversations about Jesus. Because our hope is people will then say, I want to know more about Jesus. When they say, I want to know more about Jesus, they can go to the hegetsus.com website and they can read about Jesus on Bible reading plans. Love that. They go deeper. Uh, over half a million people have subscribed to those plans. They can get referred to local churches. And through Glue, they do that. And Glue and he gets us and some other campaigns has now referred over 300,000 people to churches. So, so it's kind of like a lot of movement going on. Uh, and so what we're doing here is helping to prepare those churches and others. And tens of thousands of churches are already uh, engaging the He Gets Us. Uh, uh, excuse me, I should say, like churches all over the world have seen the He Gets Us ad, but tens of thousands have already engaged this masterclass. So, so we're we're helping to provide these resources, and we've got like a bunch of names on there. And Kevin, we should. I don't know if we should name drop all the names, but there are amazing. We got Mark Middleberg yeah. talking about styles of sharing the gospel. He's got a whole book and a resource on that as well that we want to encourage you to. We got we got JD Greer. We got uh, we've Christine got uh, Christine Kane. Kane. We've yeah. got I, there's so many people. Throw a couple uh, others in there. Kevin Palau and the and and other Palau's. Who Tyler else is Clayton, in there? Who's from Bridgetown Church here in Portland? Just a okay. really thriving church, reaching the twenty somethings in our tough city. And um, gosh, Rebecca McLaughlin, who's yep. an amazing apologist. Originally Hosanna from Wong. Boston, Hosanna Wong. It's a great group yeah. of younger, older men. It really is. It's sort of a, um, it's kind of, we call it a masterclass, but it, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, you have to be old enough. It's like for the kids today, it's like the Avengers. It's like all these people are really significant leaders. For back in my day, it's Super Friends, which is a cartoon that, that doesn't exist anymore. I remember if you Google it, it would Kevin remembers. Kevin remembers. Yep. So we're trying to help um, people in churches to share their faith more effectively and help create a culture of evangelism. So what would be some things you would suggest, Kevin, where church leaders can help create a culture of evangelism in their congregations? And, and again, I, I'm 100% say, let's mention the masterclass and the answer, yeah. but that's part of what we're trying to do. It's not just, here's, memorize these four verses and memorize this script. It is about yeah. shaping a culture. What are some keys to shaping yeah, a culture? Yeah, you know, it's funny, and I'll, I'll just reference, you know, I, I've lived in Beaverton, Oregon, virtually my entire life. It's a suburb of Portland. Portland's a very, very challenging place for the gospel. And um, I've been part of the, the same local church my entire life. My mom's parents started a Bible study at the Grange Hall. Some of you will have to look that up. Google what is a Grange Hall hmm. when, it, when, when Beaverton was agricultural. Um, but this 80-year-old church of about 600, pretty good-sized church for the Portland area, you'd think with it being the Palau family church, the evangelism would be like, we're hitting it out of the park, man. Not so much. We're, we're a church that's struggling like any other church. So we, we find we've got to do a whole variety of things. Like you say, it's not just a matter of like we're going to train people one time. I think it's a matter of to change the culture, you've got to, you've got to focus on leaders. You've got to do things that help leaders prioritize evangelism. You've got to uh, sell, I would say, do a better job celebrating every step along the evangelism journey. We realize like at our local church, we realize that other than baptisms, which we do a few times a year, we, we realized when we did a little bit of a, an internal kind of study that the only time we were really talking about evangelism was maybe once a year when my dad used to or my brother Andrew would come and do an evangelistic Sunday at the church or baptism. And so we realized, like, we've got to be talking about evangelism way more than that. We've got to find ways to celebrate it to the point where people at Cedar Mill Bible Church recognize that. This is a priority. So we're trying now to do things like um, interview people who have maybe shared their faith for the first time, even if the person didn't come to faith at all. So we're, we're trying to find creative ways to 
acknowledge to the people at our church that evangelism matters and that we recognize that it's not uh, as easy as it used to be. So we're going to be using Evangelism Masterclass. Our staff are going through it right now. And then in January, we're going to try to take as many of our congregation through it as possible. We are baptizing more people than ever before at our church, partly because of Alpha. So there's, there are existing programs. Alpha is just one of many. There's Christianity Explorer. But there's there's things that people have developed that can be adopted into a church. So I, I But I think, you know, to change a culture, you've also got to look for the small percentage of people that seem to be leaning into evangelism. I know, Ed, you and I are maybe, maybe view it slightly differently. I still think about the gift of the evangelist. Sure. You would say like, hey, I'm not so sure it's a gift. But regardless, we know that there's a small percentage of people in most churches that whether you call it a gift or whether they just have a particular aptitude, they're not as intimidated. Yeah. So one thing that we're going to be doing at our church is take the time to identify, like, who are the people at Cedar Mill Bible Church? that seem to be more open, willing, and can we gather that group of people and kind of empower them to say, over the long haul, we're going to be kind of a catalytic team that's going to say, hey, let's not let evangelism be a once a year thing or once a year we do training. How do we keep it regular? Uh, Kevin Harney is a good friend of both of ours, Ed, probably you too, Dan. Um, But I know he says that, man, if your church is going to change or develop a culture, Every single month, you've got to do something from the stage that hmm. highlights evangelism. It doesn't mean you're preaching the gospel or giving an invitation necessarily every time, though that's not a bad thing to do. But you've got to do something creative. You've got to celebrate some stage in evangelism. You've got to baptize. You've got to talk about it. You've got to equip. And I think that as simple as that is, if you're going to change the culture, you've got to be intentional. You've got to find the people that are already leaning in. And and kind of you got to do something to make a change. If it's not working now, guess what? Doing the same thing is guaranteed to continue to get the same results. And um, there are lots of people with good ideas. I mean, I, w- I would mention um, Kevin Harney with Organic Outreach. Has got a ton of free resources. And I do think this Evangelism Masterclass, since it's free, it's kind of a no-brainer. Check it out. Use it, even if it's just for yourself and a few key leaders at your church. Start there and see if it will inspire some fresh thinking. Yeah, I think uh, I want to come back to the, for just a second, uh, to the difference we have. I think that makes a good conversation, actually. Yeah. Um, so I don't believe the Bible anywhere talks about a gift of evangelism. Well, no, it's not that I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't anywhere talk about a gift of evangelism. <laughs> um, it does talk about the evangelist who equips God's people. Um, whereas, so, you know, your your dad was clearly an evangelist. You're, we have people who are evangelists. Um, so I'm, I think we come to the same conclusion, yeah, though, in my did, view. Sorry. Like, I, I'm really influenced by Rice Brooks' PhD dissertation he wrote for Fuller, where he talks about the local church should have evangelism, every local church. So it's not just part of the challenges. We've so, you know, we've rock-starred evangelists, you know, so like your dad and Billy yeah. Graham or, or Larry, you know, Greg Laurie, yeah. whatever, um, so all of whom are, I mean, do amazing work. But but so I think there's there should be evangelists in every church. And then so all of God's people have a responsibility to share their faith yes. and evangelists help them. Yes. How would you articulate um, differently? Uh, and with the people who have the gift of evangelism, which uh, you're framing it around the gift of evangelism, which, by the way, I think my position is the minority position. So for those who believe that there's a gift of evangelism, what does that mean for people who don't have the gift of evangelism? Yeah. Do they have any role in that? So help us. No, no, you're, right, you're exactly right. And, and I think your your point's well taken and you're you're kind of wearing me down. I'm rethinking it. <laughs> uh, and, and like you said, the, the, the bottom line is 
it doesn't it it's kind of semantics in a way because the bottom line is every believer is 100% biblically called to be a witness and a witness simply says what they've seen and experienced you don't have to be an expert you don't have to have a phd you don't have to have been trained to be a witness if you see a car accident guess what the police what did you see you don't, that's the, that's the only level of experience you have to have is this is what i have experienced so every believer clearly is called to be part of the mission of pushing the good news forward. And I do think you're right that one of the biggest problems and challenges is we, we professionalize it and say, it's my pastor's job. It's someone more smart, so, you know, someone smarter than me with more experience. They're supposed to share the good news. I'm just a regular everyday believer. And, and I think that is a major, major problem. And, and certainly in Ephesians four or is it Ephesians three, which talks about apostles, prophets, yeah, and Ephesians four versus four. 11 and following. Yeah. Yeah, so Ephesians four, you know, it talks about those that are that are specially called in that right. way are all about preparing God's people for the work of the ministry. So, so clearly, those roles, including your pastors, are supposed to be preparing you, the vast majority, the everyday believer, to be on mission. You, you know, you are the only person. You may be the only believer that the people that you work with or your neighbors have in their life, and so. Clearly, your pastor is not going to be able to reach those people. You have a responsibility, and pastors that are listening, part of your responsibility, 100%, is to prepare your people to be on mission. So I, th I think that those that are called in some way or right. feel uh, particularly excited about being an evangelist, mm -hmm. they, they can have a role to play. They can model it. They can take people along with them. They can try to be a, a catalyst to just encourage and inspire. But, you know, we all know that if we could just get a higher percentage of us, those that are everyday believers, because I'm not I don't consider myself an evangelist. I struggle like most people uh, with with fear and anxiety about it or maybe a, a sense that of taking on more than I should. You know, it's not my responsibility to save anybody. I mean, it right. helps me at times to remember mm -hmm. that my job is not to save people. That's the job of God. The Holy Spirit's the one who calls people. The Holy Spirit's a great evangelist. But we are called to be witnesses. And if people don't know you're a believer, that's a big problem. I mean, if, if, if you're hiding the fact, if you're embarrassed because of the, the, the logical things, I mean, there are, there are things that Christians do that are kind of embarrassing. You may, you know, there, there are some of our spokespeople in the media don't put forward the most winsome apologetic, so to speak. But you can't be ashamed of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's very, very clear. I mean, we can be. We're not called to be. So I think it's as simple as that, you know, every believer a witness, every believer on mission, and that does mean verbalizing your faith, because a lot of people will preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. That is not in the Bible, <laughs> and it supposedly was, you know, St. Francis, it's like, there's no evidence he said it either, I don't know where it came from. And I agree with the sentiment of our actions speak louder than words sometimes, so I can affirm the fact that our lives need to match up to what Jesus taught. Yeah. But by golly, that that phrase has has killed a lot. Boy, of, it's really taken on a life of its own. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's I hear we hear it all the time, and it's like people use it as an excuse to say, "Well, I'm trying to live a good life, and that is the gospel." Yeah. Well, no, it's it's fruit of the gospel. Your life should reflect that Jesus is in you, but you cannot communicate a saving message by being kind to people. At some mm -hmm. point, you've got to explain who Jesus is to you. 
Kevin, you, you, you mentioned this about your father, uh, about how he loved to see people transformed. And that was a big part of why evangelism was just natural. And I'd like to speak to that because uh, I think I think a lot of our listeners are going to feel similar to you, uh, where they don't feel like they're a natural evangelist. Um, but cultivating the heart, the passion, love for people, um, believing in the lostness of somebody without yeah. a relationship with Jesus. Can you can you help our listeners uh, remind them? You know what is it about cultivating the heart of evangelist of the evangelist? What can they do? Um, you know, yeah. and I, I want to share this. Like this is we're not trying to shame anybody. This is not their weekly reminder to be you know an evangelist. But at the same time, there is some there are some disciplines that they could potentially put in place. And what do you think, pastors, right now amid their busy schedule, what can they do to cultivate? Um, you know, their skill evangelism. Well, well, you know, and again, certainly the reason that Ed and I put this evangelism masterclass together, totally free, available at glue, G-L-O-O dot U-S, uh, is, is precisely because we think people consistently need, including leaders, need that reminder and encouragement and inspiration. Sometimes it's, it's not just the information of, uh, am I going to use the bridge illustration or four laws? Like, what what am I going to do? What technique might help me to be more confident? But it's more that that inspiration and the reminder. You know, Dad really spent time with the Lord every single day. I mean, Dad was was on his knees reading reading the Word every single morning. I would see him all the time, and and some of it was, you know, he really did believe. I think you mentioned it, Dan. The the lostness of the lost. You know, that's something that has fallen kind of on hard times, a basic biblical truth, but that, that is so compelling but challenging that it's easy to kind of put it aside. Because if if we're if we're practically speaking universalist, if it's like, well, you know what? God is love, God loves everybody, Jesus came, he died on the cross for everybody. So in a way, like, well, does it really matter? Because you know, in the end, I just can't believe that. People could be eternally eternally separated from God. So you know what? I think in the end, somehow it's all going to pan out and it's all going to be fine. That is, it's a killer to to the evangelistic imperative because ultimately, if there's really no no consequence, then there really is no extra compulsion to share the good news. And again, when I say compulsion, that's that can sound negative, shameful. But the bottom line is, I think it, it's 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 those two things. It's the joy. Dad mostly shared the good news because he'd seen it being so transformative. It's like, why wouldn't I want everybody to experience the love, the joy, the peace, the good things of walking with God? Dad primarily emphasized that. But he would also not avoid the fact of like sinful humanity is separated from a holy God who in a just way, uh, condemn sin and the unjust behavior that we all participate in and there is there is a there is a consequence to that and dad never lost sight of the fact that uh while we're not the judges we don't know who's saved etc cetera, etc cetera, there there was a compulsion that he had to say it matters that i share the good news not just like oh, it's nice you know this is kind of good advice and you know but it's like it's it's essential to share the good news and i think we've lost that to some degree I think you don't hear uh, sermons on judgment. Nobody likes, I don't like thinking about it. 
But I think dad cultivated that sense of both the positive nature of um, I want people to experience life that is truly life, but also the fact of I can't, I don't want anybody to experience separation from God. Yeah. And I think that passion was, uh, was obvious in his life and your ministry. And, and by the way, um, compelled uh, is a great word. I wrote a whole book called <laughs> compelled from second Corinthians five verse, uh, 14, Philip nation. I wrote it together for Christ's love compels us okay. We're convinced yeah. that one died for all, therefore all died and he died for all. So those who live should lo no longer live for themselves before the one who died for them and was raised. So I'm all in on compelled by the love of God. I think that matters. Um, okay. So, one of the things, and again, you you graciously gave out the the address, but if people just go to the show notes at the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, they can find the link right there. there. And again, the 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 class is is free. It's intended. It's like these twenty plus minute sessions intended to be done. Uh, you can watch them and then use them in your small groups, use them in your church, use them train whatever. It's for everyday Christians, and that's a key thing. Yes. It's not. Uh, you'll watch it as a pastor and church leader, and hopefully it'll challenge you. You know, I made a commitment years ago that I seek as part of a spiritual discipline every week to share the gospel with someone. I had the privilege of doing that twice this week. Um, I'm, I don't necessarily consider myself, I don't use the term evangelist to describe myself. Um, but as someone who's a follower of Jesus, I, I ask the Lord, just like I, I, when I pray or when I memorize scripture as a spiritual discipline, Lord, give me the privilege of having a conversation this week with two people outside of a church setting. I mean, excuse me, with one person outside of a church setting once a week. And, and I love that to be able to do that. When you look for those things, God opens those doors. Yes. So, um, but in the masterclass, a lot of it has to do with how you engage people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how how do you work and and help people to to engage well in the cultural moments as well? So, for example, um, we we actually have like Lisa Fields talking about having hard conversations, and she does a great job with that. And there's there's a lot of things like that. So, my question is, what advice would you give? Remember, our our audience is pastors and church leaders, so they want the Christians in their church to reach people in the surrounding culture for Jesus. And there was obviously some themes or some emphases in the class that sort of relate to this. What are some principles they should take away? You've learned years in Portland, yeah. how to engage people and more. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's not to make it seem overly simplistic, but we have to genuinely love people where they're at and, and be in relationship with people, be praying for people. I mean, Dan, you asked about spiritual disciplines. I do think, Ed, what you modeled, where you, where you talk about praying for people and praying for open doors. Paul prayed for open doors and that he would be bold when those open doors were there. I think that every single one of us, pastors and leaders and the people in your congregation, we have open doors every single day, absolutely to love people. And I do think that, it, that it's helpful. I'm not saying that if you don't have a relationship with someone that you haven't built up in, over time, you, you shouldn't share. Sometimes God gives you an open door, or maybe if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you feel a a compulsion a, a, to, to talk to someone that you don't know at all. That's great. But I think for most of us, we're in relationship with neighbors, family, coworkers. And I think praying for people consistently, the simple, the simple discipline of having a prayer card, which could be literally a piece of paper where you write down the names of five or more friends, people that you know, and praying for them as simple and obvious as it is. When people have that discipline and they pray over time, uh, my brother Andrew and his wife Wendy are vocational evangelists, and they are also very active on the personal evangelism side. And I've seen Andrew's prayer cards. They now total dozens of people. He came to the Lord at 27 after pretty kind of rough being away from the Lord. 
he has seen so many of his fraternity brothers at University of Oregon and, and all kinds of high school friends come to know the Lord because he's consistently prayed every single day and praying for open doors. So I think, honestly, loving and serving people, caring about them, building genuine relationships and um, asking good questions. I mean, as simple and obvious as it is, having a prayer card and praying for friends and, and looking for those open doors. Um, and I think, you know, learning to ask good questions is such a key part of sharing the good news these days. Um, for many, many people, they've kind of walled off the spiritual life, their spiritual life, and kind of like, that's nobody's business. And I think, you know, if we can learn to ask good questions, most people in the U.S. still have some kind of a faith, interest, spiritual background. They probably were taken to Sunday school by their grandma. There's something there. And it's seldom that someone asks them with genuine curiosity, tell me about your spiritual life. You know, tell me about your faith background. You know, that's something that's important to me. Did you grow up going to church? I've never had an angry conversation, and I've had hundreds of conversations with people just curious about their spiritual background. Never had anybody upset. Most of the time, people don't ask them about it. And if you ask with a humble attitude and you give them permission to share their the bad stuff, like if I, I will often, I want to be the first person or the person that asks them what issues, you know, when I find out that they don't go to church anymore, tell me about that. And, and it's always, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. What was it that, that made you, wow, it sounds like you're, you've got some real anger against the church. I'm really sorry to hear that. What was it that made, what, what started that in your life? People are more than happy to answer questions if they feel like you actually care about the answer. And if you can be the, a Christian that's safe for them to vent against Christianity in the church, You'd be surprised how often that can lead to a healthy spiritual conversation if you're a safe person for them to vent to. We've been talking to Kevin Palau. You can learn more about Kevin and the Luis Palau Association at palau.org. That's P-A-L-A-U.org. You can access Kevin and Ed's Evangelism Masterclass by creating a free Glue account at glue.us, G-L-O-O.us. And thanks again for listening to the Sessor Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.